If you have your Bibles with you today, I want to encourage you to go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. You're welcome to use the Bible in the pew. If you've got your phone, get out your Bible app. We're going to be in the Word of God here today. We continue back into our Kings series. We've got just a few weeks left of this series as we've gone through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and here we are in 2 Kings. And we're going to be talking about a prophet named Elisha. And a few weeks ago, I was talking about the prophet Elijah, and this servant came in partnership with him, was called out of the field to basically be the protege of Elijah, and his name was Elisha. And I want to kind of set this up by just sharing with you some of the things that are happening in Elisha's life. And one of the final days he was walking around with Elijah... There was a moment where they come up on the Jordan River and Elijah takes his cloak and he slaps the water and the water parts and they're able to cross on dry land across the Jordan. Pretty powerful stuff. How many of you have ever done anything like that before? I mean, that's kind of a big deal, right? And people are witnessing this. This is pretty cool. And so as they carry along the day, there's a certain point where Elijah kind of asks him, is there anything you want or I can give you? And he wants a double portion of the blessing that's upon Elijah. He wants to do ministry in the same way that Elijah's doing and to do it even more. And he says, well, if you see me get carried away up into heaven, then that blessing will be given to you. And as they're speaking with each other, this chariot of fire splits them as they're talking with each other. It comes right in between them, and this whirlwind begins, and Elijah is taken up into heaven by this whirlwind, and his cloak is laying on the ground. And Elisha picks this thing back up, and he goes back to the Jordan, and he's like, let's just give this a try. And he slaps the water, The water parts, just like it did for Elijah. And so as this is going on, there's some local prophets who are in that area, and they watch what Elisha's doing when he slaps the water and it parts, and they even say, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. Clearly there's a power of the Holy Spirit upon Elisha's life now, and as the story continues, there's a moment where He goes to Jericho, and they're having problems with their water. People are drinking this water, and it's causing death, and it's causing infertility. And so the elders of the community come to Elisha, asking him to do something about it. Elisha takes some salt, throws it into the spring, and it's cured, and it solves their problem. Gaining a little bit of a reputation, this must be a man... Of God, And he leaves Jericho, and while he's on the road, a group of boys that are on the side of the road begin mocking Elisha, and they say, Go away, Baldy! Go away, Baldy! That's encouraging. <laughs> and for all the people that ever make fun of my hairline, I want you to understand what happens next. Elisha calls a curse down upon them, and 42 of them are mauled by two bears. I guess that solved the problem, didn't it? I doubt they called him Baldy any further on that one. That was quite interesting. Well, the king of Israel, Ahab's son, his name is King Joram, 
and then also the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, and then they bring in even another foreign nation, the king of Edom. They come together because they want to fight the king of Moab together. And so as they're coming together, they decide they want to seek Elisha's counsel. And so they bring him in and ask him, what do we do? How's this going to play out? And Elisha tells them, there's a valley that's going to fill up with water. And then following that, then you guys are going to go and you're going to defeat Moab. Well, water suddenly appears in this valley and they go out and they defeat Moab. He's got a prophetic ministry that's taking place here. The power of God is upon his life. And just like Elijah encountered a widow and all she had was just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and she was able to not only make something for Elijah, but then able to have something for the continuation of the drought, there's a sweet miracle that takes place with Elisha and a widow. Her husband's passed away, and a creditor that they owe money to shows up, and he wants the money. And she doesn't know what to do, so she comes to Elisha begging for help, And he asks her, what do you have? All she has is a flask of oil. And he says, well, tell your sons to go around the community and collect as many different oil jars as you can. And out of one flask of oil, they fill up all of these jars to the brim so she can sell this oil to pay back her creditor. One flask of oil, all the jars that they brought in the home were filled. And she was able to pay the debt. In all of Elisha's travels, there was one woman who was very hospitable toward Elisha, even in their home, creating a room that he could sleep in whenever he would come through the area. They appreciated Elisha. They saw the power of God upon his life. And he speaks blessing over her in the form of a pregnancy, despite infertility in her husband's old age. And a year later, she gives birth. And this child grows up a few years later and dies. And this mother's distraught and and she summons Elisha to come. And there's a prayer session that takes place. This boy is lying in the very bed that they would have made for Elisha when he was a guest. And he comes into the room and begins a prayer session and the child is revived. Now I just want to stop there for a second because as I was putting this together and wanting to share with you a little bit of Elisha's story, this is what stuck out to me and I hope that um, there's just some application that can be heard in this. Is the very place in which we serve or where we show hospitality was the same location and the same place in which that mother got her miracle. And that just sticks out to me. You know, we can walk through things in life, and I think we just, we serve the Lord, and you know what? All of a sudden, the Lord shows up right in that very place in which you're serving. We serve the Lord and trust that God will show up in due time. Along the way, Elisha saves some men who are about to eat some poisonous stew from these wild gourds that were thrown into the stew. He did it by throwing in flour. And now it's safe for consumption. He also fed a crowd of a hundred with twenty loaves of bread. And there was plenty to eat and plenty left over. There's even a point where Elisha helps an enemy commander who comes down with leprosy. 
And this commander comes to Elisha for help, and he tells him, go into the Jordan River and go under seven times, and when you come up, the leprosy will be gone. And that's exactly what happened. And this enemy commander, his name's Naaman, and he tries to pay Elisha for this healing, and Elisha won't take it. I'm not going to be compensated for something that God did. He refuses the compensation. However, Elisha has a servant by the name of Gehazi, and Gehazi's like, we should take some money from this guy. I mean, after all, he's an enemy commander, and the Lord healed him and came to you, Elisha, for counsel on this. So Gehazi chases him down and begins to get compensation for this, to take back to Elisha. How do you think this goes down when he returns? Not well. Elisha's upset. In fact, because Elisha has this anointing and this blessing from the Lord, even though he wasn't with this servant, he actually saw the whole transaction go down while he was back in the city. Through the power of the Spirit, he watches this take place. And he confronts Gehazi. And Gehazi is given leprosy along with his family for the sinful actions. Elisha has a gift for seeing things in the Spirit, and it extends into this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha is able to see the conversations that the enemy king is having with his military. And Elisha is then able to warn the king of Israel, hey, don't go there because that's where the enemy's going. And then he'll ship, don't go there because that's where the enemy is going. And you see this taking place through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to pick things up in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Kind of lays the groundwork here with this prophet. Can we just take a moment to pray, though, before we read from the Word? This is God's Word. He speaks to us through His Word. So let's settle our hearts to receive from the Lord today. Father, we thank You for this time together. I thank You for the power that rested upon Elisha's life. And that same power, the same Spirit, is alive today, empowering people to minister. And Lord, we pray through that same Spirit you would guide and lead our time here in your Word. We lift this to you. Be with the children's ministry as they gather around your Word. Help us all to grow in our walk with Christ. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 8 here in 2 Kings 6. It says, When the king of Aram, or the king of Syria, was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers, and he would say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Don't go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. There you see the power of God upon Elisha to see things in the Spirit, even though he's not physically present there. Verse 10, So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by this man of God, Elisha. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. And the king of Aram became very upset over this, and he called his officers together and demanded... Which one of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel 
of my plans. He thinks it's one of his guys, and they're actually like a spy and feeding this information to Israel. Well, in verse 12, they say, It's not us, my lord the king. It says, Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom." Well, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops there to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, so Elisha's servant goes outside, and there were troops, there were horses, and there were chariots everywhere. And he says to Elisha, Oh, sir, what will we do now? Verse 16, Elisha says, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man that you're looking for. Who are they looking for? Elisha, they're looking for him. He's like, come with me. I'll show you where he's at. They don't even recognize him. And some people wonder, were they actually physically blind, like they couldn't see anything, or were they in a daze to the point where they couldn't recognize? If they were totally blind, you'd think they'd probably stop in their pursuit and go, something's wrong. So I think they were blinded, just like we might have blind spots. You can still see, but you may not be able to recognize things. That's what's taking place here. They don't even recognize Elisha. So he leads them to the city of Samaria. And as soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Elisha says, Of course not. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. That's where we're going to stop here in our reading today. And I want to just address the first few verses here with just recognizing Elisha's gift. He has this amazing ability to be able to see in the spirit of what is going on. Even to the point where the king's own men are like, hey, he can see even what's going on in your bedroom. A very private, private location. And it's important to recognize that nothing is hidden from God's sight. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that. And that's true to this day. Just as the Lord can see everything in this king's life, he can see everything in our life. There's nothing you can do that you think, oh, well, 
I go to church here, but then on Monday I'm kind of doing my own thing. The Lord doesn't, if I don't bring it up, the Lord doesn't know about it. The scripture is very clear. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. You might be able to hide things from people or hide things from a spouse or anything like that, but it's not hidden from the Lord's sight. And this gift is just on display and it's aiding the nation of Israel and it's making this king mad. And finally he goes, we're going to take matters into our own hands. Now we're just going to go straight for this Elisha. We're going to go after him. And so they surround this city of Dothan and the servant of Elisha starts to panic. So this next little section here, I'm going to just point out that these people, they're surrounded. The enemy has showed up and he walks out in the morning and he sees the problem and he's afraid. Fear focuses on the problem. It sees the problem. It dwells on the problem. The Bible tells us that a great army with many chariots and horses came to surround the city. And then he asks Elijah, what are we going to do? And Elisha didn't trouble himself about this army. His first concern was for his frightened servant. He didn't freak out. He goes, let's just address the fear issue here right now with my servant. If he's going to walk with Elisha and if he's going to serve God, this young man is going to face difficulties and even dangerous situations. He's He's going to have to learn how to trust the Lord. One study Bible I read said, we probably would have prayed over the servant and asked the servant, to just calm down and, Lord, give this servant some peace. Give him peace. Calm him down. But that's not what Elisha prayed. He didn't go, oh, it's okay, lad. We're going to pray for God to give you peace. He prays that God would open up his eyes. Stop focusing on the problem. That's why you don't have peace. You're staring at the issue. Elisha did not pray that his servant would stop seeing the enemy, though, completely. He prayed that he would start seeing the goodness and the provision of the Lord, asking him to look with faith and to recognize that no matter what we walk through in life, God is always interceding. He is always fighting. He is always at work. And if you do not see God's power working in your life, perhaps... The problem is your spiritual eyesight. God is always at work, and that truth is revealed when God opens up Elisha's eyes. And not only are they surrounded, but they're surrounded. Like all caps, like shouting, surrounded. There is an angel army that's in this location as well, and they're far greater in number, they're far greater in strength and power and might. And Elisha says, there are more on our side than on theirs. And we recognize that God has an angel army that's at work, ministering to his people. 
Hebrews 1.14 talks about how angels are ministering spirits that are sent to serve God's people. Psalm 34.7 says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. He's with those who fear Him, and it says He delivers them. And in Joshua chapter 5, there's a moment where Joshua encounters this man who's a, a, uh, a commander, and he comes up to him and says, Are you with us, or are you with the enemy? And then he finds out it's the commander of the Lord. He's seeing the spiritual realm. Can you imagine that? There's a reality that's going on that sometimes I don't think we always understand and we don't necessarily see. I see you, you see me, but one thing that's interesting is in this room, there's angels. And you might think that I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but that's what the Word says. There's a mighty angel army that is with us right now. You either believe that or you don't. Either God is delusional and He gives us this to confuse us, or it's truth. There's an angel army that is at work in the spiritual realm. Angels are an entirely different order. They're, they're not human beings. They're an entirely different creation. And I'll just say a couple things on that. Angels will never become, and they never were, human beings. They're an entirely different creature. And I will say this too. Human beings don't ever become angels. Even when they die. It's not you go to heaven and now you're an angel. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible says. You, know, you might be able to be with angels and worship with angels and be able to see angels in ways that you weren't when you were here on this earth, but you do not become an angel. God created angels. They worship and they praise Him. They serve Him. And they serve and they minister to God's people. They deliver messages. They aid people in their prayers. And they execute judgment. And they help advance the kingdom through the Word and through the Gospel and salvation. And they observe the Christian order and work. And even in our suffering, angels are with us. And they encourage us in times of danger. They care for the righteous people even at their time of death. And they wage a spiritual battle that goes on 24-7. Now, I don't know if we have a specific guardian angel upon our lives, but what I do know is that we have guardian angels, plural, that are watching over our life because they're commanded to do so by God. I like Michael W. Smith's song. When it looks like I'm surrounded, we recognize that we're actually surrounded by God. And we go through difficult things in life and, and we go, this is tough. And we can focus in on the problem and, and God's saying, I'm with you. I've not left you. I'm at work. Even if it doesn't feel like it, trust this. Because I'm saying this in the Word and you can take that to the bank. Mark Samuelson sent me a uh, video clip of a pastor talking about when we focus in on the problem, we shrink God down. And the video clip, the guy's in his car, and uh, the perspective here is he's in the car, uh, the uh, air freshener hanging on the mirror, it's, you know, big because he's talking in his car on the phone. 
and behind him there's a vehicle outside his car that looks smaller than the air freshener. And he says, which is actually bigger, the air freshener or the car outside my vehicle? And he goes, clearly the car is bigger, but the problem is I focused in so much on this air freshener that it shrinks down that car that's outside. And he said, we do the same thing in life. We focus in on the problem, and we blow it up, and it shrinks God down. And we go, what are we going to do? We're like Elisha's servant. Elisha, what am I going to do? God, open our eyes. Open up our eyes. So after this goes down, he opens up his eyes. He sees that there's a spiritual army that's at work even in the midst of this natural realm. There's a supernatural realm at work. Elisha just doesn't sit off to the side and like, well, we'll just see how this goes down. I mean, look at all those angels. Elisha gets to work. There's a cause and effect relationship that's in spiritual battles. We know we have an angel army that's on our side. But you and I, we play a part in this spiritual battle. Verse 18, the Bible says, Elisha then prays. Verse 20, the Bible says, Elisha prays. Prayer is a weapon of warfare. Charles Stanley says that the distance between defeat and victory is measured by the distance that it takes us to fall on our knees before God in prayer. Stanley goes on to say, if we fight all our battles on our knees, we're going to win every time. Prayer. God will do His part, but let's do ours. We engage in the spiritual battle, and Elisha engages... He gets involved. Obviously, the enemy is confused. They're dazed. They go into the wrong place. And now they're surrounded. What are they going to do? And there's just kind of an interesting little twist. We've been reading through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, now 2 Kings, and there's a lot of bloodshed. Okay? And if you're reading right through this story and you say, look, they're surrounded. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, they'll probably just kill the army and they win the battle. Shift in the plot, Elisha says, have grace on them. How many of you are like, well, didn't see that coming? But grace is extended toward the enemy. The king goes to Elijah, should I kill them? And he says, no, give them food and drink. And then send them home. And such a treatment of the enemy demonstrates Israel's confidence in God as their protector. And I think it's interesting that at the very beginning of our reading, Elisha is speaking to the king of Israel, helping him in these battles. Don't go there, because that's where the king's going. Or move away from that place, because that's where the king is going. And there's a grace that's being extended to the king of Israel. Even though he's not a good king, God's grace is being extended to this man of evil. And so then when there's this moment then to pounce on his enemy, Elisha says, have grace on them. And as I read that, I think, man, I think of God's grace in my own life, and I need to be somebody who passes that grace 
on. Freely you've received, freely give. God's forgiven me of all the sin in my life. Am I able to show grace toward other people? In closing here, I want to focus on our memory verse for this week. Psalm 91.11 God will command His angels, that's plural, Okay, it's way more than a guardian angel, singular. His angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. I know I've shared this story before from this pulpit. I know I shared it in an email, but we've had a lot of new people, and I'm just going to share this story again. But when our church was working with LifeGate over in Humboldt, and we would set up each Saturday night for the ministry that would take place, we'd load up a trailer and we'd haul over to Humboldt and we'd unload that thing. And my father-in-law, Brian, was doing something here at the church building and his vehicle was parked over here on the east side and I had the trailer backed up to these doors and I was loading the trailer for things that LifeGate would need. And one of the items we had, we had a stand and then we had a cross that we were going to put that stand in. And it was windy that day. Shocker. And I'm carrying that cross, and I step up into the trailer, and as I'm getting ready to do that, all of a sudden, one of the doors breaks loose, and like with an incredible force, it's coming for me, and I can just see it go down. I'm like, you know, this ain't going to feel good. (laughs) And the door just stops between me and the cross. It didn't even hit me. And my father-in-law, who's on the other side of this whole thing, doesn't see what's going down with me. He thought this thing smoked me. That's why it stopped. And I picked up the cross, and I walk into the trailer. I'm sitting down. All of a sudden, Brian appears at the end of the trailer. You okay? And I, I go, did you see that? And he goes, yeah. And he's thinking I got hit, and I'm like, no, I didn't. That thing just stopped right at the cross, and it didn't hit me. And he and I were like, wow. And we kind of marked that one up to something going on in the spiritual realm. Again, you can call me cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I feel like that was the hand of the Lord. I believe there's a spiritual realm. That's what God tells me. I'm going to believe that, and I experienced that on that day. Have you ever heard of Bulletproof Washington? Commander and President George Washington. He was a courier for General Braddock during the French and Indian War. And all the couriers were shot to death except for Washington. Washington had several horses shot out from underneath him. He had bullet holes in his overcoat. He even had bullet fragments in his hair. But he had no wounds. Some years after the war, before he had become president, Washington was back in that general area, and one of the Indian chiefs, who was now elderly and close to death, found out about Washington being in the area, and he told his tribesmen, please take me to this man. And when he was in Washington's presence, he said, Sir... I am an expert marksman, and I shot at you several times. And my men shot at you several times. 
Eventually, I told them to stop wasting their bullets. He said, I just wanted to meet the man who's protected by the great spirit above. Now, Washington is a man of faith. If you fast forward to the Revolutionary War, Washington is down to his last battalion and he's surrounded on Long Island. Surrounded on Long Island. Surrounded by the British. They're on land, they're also on sea, and it's looking like this war is coming to an end. And all of a sudden, a dense fog begins to roll in. And that fog stays there all night and into the next day, allowing Washington and his men to escape. Coincidence? Or did God have his hand of protection on Washington and his men? Do you believe in the spiritual realm and that God does have an angel army that is watching over us? I've got one more story. Kind of close to home, I think, for all of us. On the left there, you see our church building. This was captured by one of those crazy storm chasers that whipped up our road on the video. God was watching over people that evening, wasn't he? God was watching over. What was going on in the spiritual realm in the midst of all of that? You know, John, Gloria, you guys were interviewed on Channel 13. Why was John in early that night? Is it possible that there's an angel army at work here making sure that you're safe? Why is there stuff in people's homes that has a spiritual component? Why is it still present? when all this other stuff is thrown around. God had his hand of protection on people's lives. And then you think, what was God doing in the spiritual realm when hundreds of people are out in these fields and on these acreages trying to help with cleanup? What's God doing in the spiritual realm? You know, people that something like that makes them start to think about life. And now all of a sudden they're carrying debris shoulder to shoulder with somebody and they can talk about things that really matter. God is at work. Even when we don't necessarily see it, the Bible tells us it very plainly. He has an angel army that guards us, guides us. Lord, open our eyes to see that we are surrounded by this mighty angel army. It's my prayer that this message would encourage somebody, if you're walking through something heavy, something difficult, is to know that God is with you. His mighty angel army is with you. He is always interceding. He's always at work. Lord, help us to see that. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I'm so grateful that you care for us and you demonstrate that in so many ways.
You demonstrated that by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be made right with you. As we put our faith and trust in Jesus, one of the blessings that comes with that is now we have an angel army that's charged to protect us, to walk with us, to guide us and lead us, even to the final moments of life when they usher us into heaven. So, Father, we just take a moment right now to recognize the truth that you are at work all the time. And, Lord, help us to be people who pray, like Elijah, with great courage and conviction, knowing that you are at work and believing that you are at work. Let us put our faith into action. Help us not to dwell and focus on the problem, but to dwell and focus on the provider, the protector. Father, if there's someone listening right now, as they reflect in their own life, I simply ask a question, is the King of Savior and Lord of your life, is Jesus first? And if you desire to put him first in your life, I want to lead you in this prayer to receive him today. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I want to make you my king. I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. Give me your spirit so I can walk in your ways. Thank you for the protection we have in this mighty angel army that you send to guard me in all of my ways. Thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.